Welcome to Courtside Moms. I am your host, Wendy Sparks. Today, I have the utmost pleasure of spending time with Natalie Williams, mother of Sabin Lee of the Detroit Pistons. Natalie, welcome. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you for coming on the show to share with us your journey with getting Sabin to the NBA. So with that said, let's go back a bit. And what age was he when he first, when he was first introduced to basketball? Well, I will tell you this. His first word was not mom. It was not dad. It was ball. Uh, and that was all he was asking for. And he had, was a bundle of energy. Um, I can remember him being about three or four and he had some other friends. He was younger. He had some friends that were older and they could all play in the YMCA league. And, you know, it's when they had the wristbands and they would match up and he was too young and he was really upset by that. He would cry when he would see all his other friends getting a chance to play and we go watch their games. He's like, when's my game? When's my game? So for his fourth birthday, I rented out the Y and actually staged a basketball game with all of his friends. And we had family members that refed and we had a couple of adults because they were all really little at that time. We had a couple of adults that were out on the court. And so he had, we actually called the names out, you know, Saban Lee, number two, and he would run out on the court and everybody ran out on the court. And I think honestly, that was his best birthday and when he was the most happy. Um, but from a really young age, he's always had that passion. He tried other sports, but basketball was the one thing that he always gravitated toward. Well, first of all, mom, that is the coolest birthday party I've heard of for any child of that age. Here we all, the rest of us thought McDonald's was it. And to hear you stage an actual basketball game, I love, love, love it. So it's like at that young age, it was just naturally manifested for him. And look where he is now. So dare I ask, when did basketball become competitive for him then? And when did he start playing at that level? Because it sounds like it was at that game. <laughs> yeah, so that that started in that, that next year. And then the next year, I guess. Well, let me start that answer that question again um so yeah the next year he was actually able to play in the y and so he started in in the y and went all the way up until i guess aau started so maybe it got competitive when he was about fourth grade and he had his his first competitive uh team but he was always the youngest so he was always playing up um and i will slip up and call him peanut because he was a little peanut, like literally when he was born, he was six pounds, seven ounces. So he was a little peanut. And then it took a bit for him to grow. So even in uh, all of the AAU games, he was always the smallest, the shortest, um, but had that spirit, that fire, that tenacity where he wasn't going to let his size stop him. And I think it continued all throughout. He's like, what size? <laughs> exactly. I'm saving and I'm playing, period. <laughs> so That's good right. for him. That's good right. for him. So let's move a little bit forward now to his high school days. Where did he play and what was it like for you to watch those games? 
Yeah, so he played at uh, Corona del Sol High School in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Well, Tempe, Arizona, but he was in um, the Chandler Tempe area. And um, when we were making decisions about where he wanted to um, go to high school, one of the things that I knew is that we had to, he had to be challenged both intellectually and physically through basketball. So we had to find that perfect intersection of, you know, academics so that he could get into, you know, competitive colleges, but also that he had that, that physical challenge as well. And Corona um, met both of those. They were at the time, the defending, you know, state champions. They had won a couple of back-to-back championships. Unfortunately, Saban didn't get the opportunity uh, to win a state championship, but they went, you know, all the way to the playoffs. And so he got a little bit of that experience. And so that was really the motivation um, and the decision around uh, Corona. Wow. Okay. And then moving forward, tell us about his college recruitment period. Do you remember him getting his first letter and who it was from? Just Well, I'll tell you this. Um, Sabin, it's always been one of these like David and Goliath underdog stories. So he was... <laughs> Um, he always says his whole, his mantra is run your race. And the turtle is like his, his picture of him running his race, you know, at the end you'll get there, but it seems really slow going. And so Saban blossomed a little bit late. Um, I don't think he actually hit six feet until his, maybe his junior year, um, of high school. And so we just, we didn't know, we didn't know if he was going to grow. We didn't know if he was going to get beyond, you know, six feet, but it was the summer, um, between his sophomore and his, his junior year where he said, you know, mom, um, this, this is my summer. This is my summer to, you know, really stand out that I'm going to go to these tournaments and I'm coming back with a scholarship. And, you know, of course, as a mom, you're saying, okay, well, yes, great. You know, you've got that determination. I'm all in, I'm there supporting you. And, um, and he did, he had, he had six offers. And I want to say the first offer was Weber State. And then he had, you know, offers from Grand Canyon. And so they were, you know, low D1 is when, when he started out. And, but coming back and, I think that's when it it hit me that, okay, you know, he's going to take that next step. He's going to play in college. He's going to realize his dream. And so that was for him, his determination between sophomore and junior year that I'm going to go to these tournaments and I'm coming back, you know, with a scholarship to college. And then that next summer, um, it was, okay, now I want to come back with very, you know, specific, like I want to have high level, you know, D1 competition. And he had always had a dream of playing in the SEC. Um, He knew that, you know, there was that, you know, competition. And so um, when he was thinking about where he wanted to go, he didn't know, but he knew that the SEC had, you know, a standard of um, competition, uh, what's, what's the word? Everyone played with a little bit of an edge and he always played mm-hmm. with a little bit of edge. Um, and so when he, when we were looking at, you know, potential opportunities, it was either, um, Stanford or Vanderbilt. Those were the two, uh, that he was choosing from. And he had several others that he was looking at, but it really came down to those two. Well, Vanderbilt. Okay. 
Let's talk about the return to Vanderbilt. What was it like for you to go back now to your alma mater years later and just be proud that your child chose the same school that you had previously gone to? So what was that like for you, Natalie, to walk on the campus grounds and go down the same halls that you once did, but now to watch your son play basketball? Yeah, it was um, it was pretty amazing. I think Saban will be the first to say he did not choose Vanderbilt because <laughs> his mother graduated from law school at Vanderbilt. Like he will always say that. Um, and there was no pressure. But I told him that he would know what was the right fit for him and then just be led by that. Um, he had selected really top choices. It didn't matter to me at, at that point, whatever he, whichever um, college he, he chose, but I wanted it to be a place where he felt like um, he could contribute and take that next step uh, towards his dream. And he just felt like Vanderbilt, Nashville, the city felt like a home away from home for him. And so being there, the culture and you know, most sons, it's all about the food too, right? Yeah, uh, but when things are stressful and, you know, when things aren't going well, it's the comfort food. And Nashville had, uh, in addition to a very strong, Vanderbilt having a strong academic program, strong basketball program, also had the bonus of really great places to eat. Uh, so oftentimes when he wasn't on the court um, or he wasn't, you know, practicing or studying, he was finding some really great places to eat. So now talk about the fan base at that school. Was it, well, when you attended that school, did you ever just happen to attend basketball games? You know, I went to one or two and, you know, they talk about Memorial Magic and I completely forgot about the court and how the mm -hmm. court is a little bit elevated and the fans, you know, are actually right at almost eye level with the court in some areas. And so when I went back into the gym uh, for the first time, it was amazing. It was like, wow, my son is actually playing on this court. I, you know, stepped into it maybe a couple of times while I was at law school, but just, I think there's, there's nothing like from the perspective of a mom, seeing your child fulfill their dream. And that was like yeah. the first really big step, right? You know, in order yeah. to get to that next level, you first have to, mm -hmm. you know, play in college and, you know, all of the emotions, you know, hoping that this is the right decision and that everything is going to work out. And how is he going to manage, you know, the ups and downs and the rigors of academic and the stress and all of that. And I think those are the emotions that you don't really think about you know, as, as a mom, but once he was in the middle of it, all of those emotions, you know, came out. Wow. You're just bringing me back as well. So, <laughs> so after now him playing there for three years, how did the decision come about uh, for him to leave and declare for the NBA draft? Yeah, I think this is one of the moments where I think as, as a mom, I told Saban that the best compliment I could give him as a mother is saying that I learned from him. And throughout that process, I learned so much about him and I learned how um, he was really evolving into a young man and making some of those, those decisions. And I, I told him that 
making the decision. And he said, mom, at the end of the day, I have to bet on myself. And so Saban's story, um, you know, he was one of those where no one expected him to get drafted. And actually they told him that he should go back to, to college and that, you know, why is he going into the draft? Is he ready? You know, is he, you know, good enough or he needs to work on this aspect of his game. And at the end of the day, I told Saban that I would support him 100% and that it needed to be a decision that he made. This is his dream, his lifelong dream. And as a mother, you can't say, well, no, maybe you do need to go back because what if he had made the decision to go back and it didn't turn out, you know, the way that he had hoped. So at the end of the day, I told him that this is solely your decision and 100% I will support you. And so he said, I'm going, I'm going to declare and um, I'm going to bet on myself. I know how hard I work. I know my work ethic. And so he decided to sign with an agent. And from there, he just, he worked um, all summer and did not let up. And it was, it was amazing to see um, when you see your children becoming your teacher and showing them how to showing it. I mean, he showed me how to overcome adversity. There were some things that were challenging and difficult for me at the time, you know, in my work. And I'm like, look at your son, look at what Saban is doing and look at how hard he's working. And it's like, no, turn it around, Natalie. You know, if your son can do it, you definitely can get through this. So when your child becomes your teacher, it's just a beautiful and amazing thing. It really is. You know, we think that only we teach them and then they introduce us to something that we never really fathom. I mean, I played basketball, but for me, once I got to the college level, I got offers and I wasn't interested. For me, it was like, no, I'm staying where I'm at. And that was it. And that was for me. Years later now, I have, I have this, this child who actually has an opportunity to go further. And I was like, wait, this is actually a possibility. This is actually something that can happen. This is, you know what I mean? And for me, like you said, he taught me so much about basketball and I was just so elated that I was actually able to see it at a different level because for me, I guess in my mind at the time, once college was finished, I was done. It didn't matter to me anymore. I would watch it on TV, turn it off and go about my day where now I'm like, wait a minute, those same games that I watched Right. Back then are the things that my son was teaching me about as he was growing up and now he's actually on the court playing. So our kids forever teach us everything we know. Right. And you know, you know what I mean about sports, about Absolutely. basketball, stuff like that. Right. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so with his father's experience of being a professional athlete, as he had played for the Detroit Lions, um, yes, it's a different sport, but he knew what was required of a pro athlete. Um, did that prepare Sabin a little more for what was to come? I think so. So I think Sabin had the best of both worlds. You know, he had a father who had navigated it before, you know, it was in the NFL, but similar, you know, similar demands, physical, mental, all of that, yeah. you know, the path to stay, you know, in, in the league, um, and everything that you go through and, you know, the hard work that is needed to get there. Yeah. And so I think Saban, you know, channeled all of that and had that in terms of his, you know, his mindset. And then, you know, he had mom on the other side 
that was the constant, you know, cheerleader supporter. Yes, you can do it. You know, everything's going to work out. And dad's like, yes, you have to work harder. You can do it, but you need to work harder and consistently, you know, pushing him. And one of the interesting things, and it's amazing how things, you know, come full circle. So his dad played in the NFL in Detroit. Uh, Saban has a tattoo uh, on his chest. And it was actually, it's a picture that I took of the two of them walking down the street in front of the house uh, that we had in Detroit. And Saban, I mean, he's a, a little, little thing, like 18 months, not quite two years or just over two years. And he's walking. And at that young age, his dad had the basketball under his arm and they were headed to the court because that's truly, you know, what he wanted to do. And so I think they always had that connection and that passion and that desire to play at the highest level. And so that, that definitely um, gave Saban that confidence in knowing that at the end of the day, you just have to bet on yourself. And if you believe that you can, if you believe in your skills, if you believe in your ability, if you believe in your work ethic, ethic then just make it happen. And I think that's what he did, you know, that summer after he, you know, declared, he just said, I'm going to make it happen. And it, it even started, you know, like he said, when he was a sophomore in between a sophomore yeah. and junior, he said, mom, I'm, I'm coming back with scholarship offers. And he just decided, you know, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make a run at it. And somehow um, I'm going to make it and his faith too. I mean, we haven't even touched upon uh, just who he is as a man of God, but his faith as well. Yeah. And you know what? I just love that because there's a difference when you want to play, you know what I mean? Than when you want to play. And there's a lot of hard work that goes with becoming a pro athlete. And you have a lot of kids out there. I mean, I remember my son playing AAU and playing college and the, everybody said they wanted to go to the NBA. Everybody. Right. But I would look at their work and what they did and the amount of basketball they put in their day was completely different. And sometimes I would say to my son, okay, maybe it's a little bit much. And not because of anything other than the fact that I was like, oh, well, you don't seem to be having fun, like in my mind. And he was like, I'm having a great time by myself on the court after practice when everybody else is gone and they're hanging out doing whatever, they, whatever they're doing. And I realized this is what he wants. This is his dream. And he knew that it took just a little bit more. So I was blessed I didn't have to push him to get there. He put right. himself there. For him, it was just, he was always walking around the city with the ball. We always heard him coming up the street. We always knew where he was. I never had to look for him, oh. never, because I knew that his goal was to play in the NBA. And he kept saying, and this is from a child when he was younger that didn't like mm -hmm. basketball. So as he got older, he was like, nah. Once he was sold to the idea, he was sold and he never looked back. So. I love that you're saying with Saban, he understood what he needed to do and the work he needed to put in to get, you know what I mean? To get himself a spot on a roster, which millions try to get on, right? I know. I know. Yes. So Saban at that time, uh, we're talking about draft time, was facing the possibility of not being drafted as he had not appeared in many mock drafts. Then the combine was postponed due to the pandemic. So with not having the opportunity to go back to school, how was he able to keep his name in the pool of prospective draft prospects? 
Yeah. So I would say a couple of things. One, I mean, you're right. I mean, Saban didn't even get an invite to the combine. He didn't get invited. And I remember as a mom, you know, you're praying, you're like, you know, God, I don't know what you have in store for him, but you know, just, I know you won't put more on him that he can handle, but you know, this is a lot, you know, he's really going after his dream. And, and so Saban went through that. And, and as a mom, you go through that with him and, you know, the faith, it just kept coming up and he's like, God, I'm trusting you and I'm trusting my work and I'm going to keep working. And so each little milestone, when you'd have that glimmer, it's like, okay, they're not going to have the combine. Okay. They are going to have the combine or not, but it's going to be a little bit different. And, you know, how is this going to work? And, you know, you still get invitations and you can go and you can show up. And, and I think, um, Saban's agent was really helpful in that. And he kept Saban grounded and just said, keep working. You know, I see you. Um, I know uh, what you're capable of. And remember, this is the, this is a long-term game. It's not just the short term and you will have an opportunity, you know, to show, you know, what you're capable of and just be ready. Um, and so I think that really helped Saban understand. And then they still had all of the interviews and he was doing a great job on all of the interviews with the teams and getting to know him and his um, humbleness in his spirit. It was that perfect combination of, you know, humility, but that fire, that focus, that tenacity. One of Saban's quotes that I think um, inspired him on his journey when he was in college, it's an Albert Einstein quote, and, he's, and it's simply this, adversity introduces a man to himself. And he mm -hmm. said, mom, I know who I am. And I said, yes, you do. You absolutely know who you are. And so what Saban's agent told him is that you've been through the fire. You have had to come back and, and fight for everything and work hard for everything that you have achieved. And you can't replicate that. Yeah. And he's, he's had that experience over and over from high school all the way you know through college and finding himself in a position where in his junior year, he's coming off the bench. And he had started in, you know, all of the games yeah. previously. And he's like, wow, you know, what's this about? And I said, son, you asked God to prepare you for the next level. Trust that this is that preparation. Yeah. And when you step on the court, you give it everything that you have and you don't let up. And that just became his mantra. It was like, no matter what he was faced with, he was going to continue to work hard. He was going to continue to grind it out. And I think that's the message that he wants to leave with, you know, young, young um, men and women coming up. That if you have that dream, you continue to work at it. You work hard at it and you don't allow adversity to be a setback. You grow out of adversity and you allow it to make you stronger and make you better. And I think his story and his pathway, I mean, every indication was that he was going to go undrafted and he was fine with that. He said, they just need to see me. And if I go undrafted, I, I go undrafted. And so on draft day, of course, is the middle of the pandemic. I was in Dallas. He was in Phoenix training. And so, you know, we all are, you know, at my mom's in the backyard. And I said, okay, what do you want on draft day? You want me to order something? He's like, actually, mom, I just want you to grill. Let's just grill some hot dogs and hamburgers and let's sit out and roast marshmallows and all that. So we're in the backyard, you know, we're just, it's just another day and we're watching the draft. And then we get the text message 
and and we're all like oh my goodness and so in that moment i i mean i get emotional now just thinking of it but mm -hmm. feeling and seeing your son realize his dream is the most beautiful thing especially when you know how hard he worked how many nights he spent on his knees just praying like god show me the way am i doing the right thing is this is what you have for me and then to see like not only were you drafted you were drafted in the second round the 38th pick and I, it was just amazing so we were just yeah. overcome you know with emotion and that's when i say you know truly your child is your teacher you know that he never he never once doubted himself i love that <laughs> i'll say that again that was my light falling off but yeah, yeah he, he never once doubted himself you know he prayed about it he had that discernment in his heart and he's like i believe this is for me i believe this is where i'm supposed to be and i said son if you feel that then that is where you're supposed to be i love that i mean i'm listening to your story and the way he he dealt with the stress and the adversity and the reason why i'm saying stress because in 2020 i mean the nba was faced with so much drastic changes with the postponement of the season to july in the bubble and then the draft taking place in november which is five months after yes. its traditional occurrence in june so you know what i mean so to to for a player an athlete that's so stressful because yes. now their dream is getting further and further and further right. away especially when nobody knew when things were really going to happen you know what i mean and then even if you're given a date there was always that risk that it could just get cut off and go away again because of the pandemic right so it's that's like right. i'm not going to get to the nba i'm not going to get to the nba and at that point you can't stress what you can't control so you just hang on to that faith because like you said he knows his talent he knows who he is as a player and look where he is today i mean here he gets called 38 to i believe it was utah first and then he traded yeah. to the pistons That's right. on that night so as mom i mean i can just imagine your joy like you said when you're looking at your teacher and you're just like wow you yeah. taught me, especially these past couple of months, how to deal with, with all of this. And now look it. where you are. So that moment. Well, you to took me, me back. Like I forgot about all of those emotions with like the delay. And that was, oh my gosh, it was, is it going to happen? You know, are we actually going to have a draft? Are we actually going to have a season? How are we going to work this all out? And so then there were, there were those thoughts of, well, when is this going to happen? What is it going to look like? And it was just going back to saving it's going to be fine. All you do is control what you can control. You just keep working and you work hard at it. And um, if it's if it's meant to happen, it's going to happen. But yes, there was that constant, you know, self-talk and that, you know, positive um, energy that we were pouring into it that, you know, the NBA is going to figure it out. Uh, they'll figure out a way. And, and they did. They absolutely yeah. did. Yeah.
you know, we, we look at our kids when they're younger and they figure, you know what, one day I'm going to be up there with the commissioner and he's going to give me my hat and I'm just going to be playing. And, and yet here COVID just removed all that, but he still had the end, the same end goal. That's you know right. what I mean? Like for him, it was like, whatever. I, I still got on a roster. I still, someone mm-hmm. valued my talent. Someone mm-hmm. looked and said, Saban Lee is someone that I need on my roster or what, right. what we need, who we need, you know what yeah. I mean? As part of our team. So talk about his rookie season and what was it like for you to finally see your son as an NBA player? You know, I was trying to think at what moment it actually sunk in. And I think um, in some ways it's just still sinking in. It's just, it's, it's a process. And I remember um, watching a game and I'm like, Saban's guarding LeBron James. I'm like, he's guarding LeBron James. I'm like, oh my gosh, what in the world? You know, and then watching him, you know, he was guarding Russell Westbrook. He had Russell Westbrook, you know, in his room, the big poster of Russell Westbrook. And I think at that moment, it was just, it was amazing to see it unfold and, you know, and it's still unfolding. Right. And, you know, always just, we're just so um, just grateful because the Pistons, they were the ones they selected him. They chose Saban. Yes. We see you, you know, we see um, the work in in you. And I think that that's what is the, is the beautiful part of that. Is there something to be, you know, chosen and selected and actually drafted. And, you know, of course, Saban will say, it doesn't matter how I get there. Or, you know, kids will say, you know, I just want to get there. But being drafted, there's just something about, you know, that, that emotion and that knowing that there's, there was a team out there, the Detroit Pistons, who saw value in me and who sees me as a part you know, of their future. And they talk about Saban being a part of that core four and, you know, this, this process um, that they're going through in, you know, rebuilding and no, it's not a rebuilding. It's a restoration. I'll make sure I get that right. Restoring. <laughs> and so, you know, Saban, Saban is there now and he's training and, and in some ways um, it's similar to his journey. It's that that work ethic, that um, continuous process of evolving his game and getting better and understanding, you know, how he fits in to the makeup of the future of the Pistons and and he's up for it. And so when I talked to him and I asked him, I'm like, you know, what is it like? And he said, you know, mom, it's it's just a continuation of what I've always done. You know, it's the, it's the hard work. It's, it doesn't stop. You know, you continue, you know, to work hard. I mean, there's some business components and business aspects to it, but at the end of the day, it's, it's my talent, it's my work ethic and being able to contribute, you know, to a team and allow the team to win and be a part of this restoration process. That's the, that's what charges me. That's what, you know, gets me excited is now what's this next level of my game and how am I going to contribute? So he's on a two-way contract. So how does he adapt to playing for both the Pistons and the Motor City Crews? And what keeps him motivated? I mean, because he's on two teams. They're different. Yeah. Um, they're different levels. Um, 
they have different needs and he has two distinct roles. So again, what keeps him motivated and how does he adapt? Yeah. So actually the interesting thing is this first year he was on, he was on the, the two-way contract his first year, but he, he actually didn't play in the G league at all. Yeah. And then at the end of that season, he signed the multi-year contract. And so now he's getting the exposure on both. And I think um, the way that Saban adapts to it is that one um, it's understanding why he's there and how it's going to elevate his game. And he just wants to play. And it's just, you know, another set of, you know, his brothers, his players that he can um, support, contribute and show some leadership. So it, it is a little bit uh, head spinning sometimes. And it's like, wait, where are you going to be? There's been times when we're like, OK, we're coming to see you. And he's like, no, mom, I'm not going to be in Detroit. I'm actually going to be here. And so it's, you know, trying to keep up with all of that. But I think right now Saban um, sees himself as just um, absorbing as much as he can yeah. about the game. And part of that is being flexible, right? And part of that is understanding that the demands are going to be different and that adaptability and being able to adapt. Okay, one day you may be you know, playing with the Pistons the next day, you're playing, you know, with the crews the next day, you're back with the Pistons. I think in one week he had three games back to back. He played one night with the Pistons and then turned around and played, you know, the next um, early morning, late morning with the crews. And so I think it's just him understanding how to take in information quickly, translate it in real time to game like scenarios and be able to produce. And that adaptability, that ability to adjust, uh, that ability to um, support different compositions of players and understand those needs. It's just another layer of development that I think he's fortunate to have. Absolutely. I mean, him playing um, with uh, the Motor City Crews, I mean, he's still getting his reps. Right. That he needs, you know what I mean? To stay in the Absolutely. game and to stay, you know what I mean? To stay busy, to stay physical, to stay yes. ready. So, I mean, he's, when he plays in the G League, I mean, he's, I believe it was this year, he was the lead scorer. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm looking at 40 points a game. And <laughs> so it's, I'm telling you, it's it's hard to, to keep up sometimes. And uh, yeah, he um, and I think in one of those weeks where he's playing back to back, he he scored in like in the 30s. But he was averaging when he first um, came on like 38 or 48, 40 points a game. Um, so being able to get those reps in, um, being able to hone his skills as a point guard and, you know, try out some things as well. Some new things that he's been working on in, in, in his game has been, um, great for his development. Um, and it lets him know he uses each game as information. And so when we, yes. you know, process and, you know, talk about it, it's like, okay, just what information did you gain that you're going to take with you to the next one? And so it's just that constant improving and getting better um, and not looking backwards, you know, taking what you did the day before and using it yep. uh, to move you forward. Absolutely. So you've been by your son's side as he has been navigating the life of a professional athlete. What, in your opinion, is the toughest aspect that these athletes face in their careers? 
Um, I would say that, you know, even from just family and individuals, like everything is on display. Um, and it's where else is your professional career public, right? You know, usually when you go to your job and, you know, you're working, it's like you just, you do it in your office or what have you. But for them, you know, playing the sport, playing the game that he loves, you know, it's, it's very public and that's part of it. You know, you feed off the fans, you feed off that energy. Um, and I think for Saban and in talking to, to him, one of the things that he has been very conscious to do is to not allow um, social media to get in his head, positive or negative. He said, I don't want to hear the accolades and I don't want to hear, you know, all of the things that, you know, could be going wrong. So I just want to stay focused on, you know, my team, what it is that I need to uh, do to get better and my coaches. And so he's, he's not on Twitter. Um, it's, it's funny. It's like, he took a break from Twitter. I think when he was in, um, in undergrad, but it's been, a, and maybe it was even high school, but it's been a really long time. It's about taking a break. And he said he made a conscious decision to do that because there are influences that can come in that you're not mm. even aware of. And so he is on Instagram, but um, again, it's one of those like teachable moments. It's like, what level of maturity, you know, is that? He's like, no, mom, I just, I don't want to hear it all. I'm like, yeah, there'll be always someone that says, oh, you're doing great. You're doing great. And then there may be people saying that you need to work on, you know, this, that, or the other. He's like, I know the focus that I need. And there's just not room for all of that on either yeah. side. And so I think his, his level of maturity um, and how he, you know, puts those blinders on when he needs to, so that he can really focus on um, his evolution and, and getting better and working with the coaches on, you know, what he needs to do and navigating all of that. Um, I've been most impressed, I think, with that, you know, on his journey, because that's, that's tough. You know, that yeah. that's really, that's really tough for, you know, individual athletes to do. It is because unfortunately they can't unsee the bad and they can't unhear all the negativity that's being told to them. Whether they believe it or not, or whether they really right. soak it in, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? You, you, it's just, right. it's once it's out, it's out. You hear, you hear it, right? So it's good that he's able to say, you know what? Right now, my focus is me. I have a job to do right. and I have to keep my thoughts here. Not every athlete's strong enough to do that. And when I say strong, it is so true because nowadays, we are so, so, so just like, ugh, I'm not, not, I'm not sure of the word to, to use, but we need, it's like, we're addicted to the internet. We're addicted to social right. media, right? So especially when you get to a certain level of celebrity, especially when you're in the public eye. So here we have our kids that, how is it not right. amazing when you get I don't know, 50, 60, 70,000 followers. You know what I mean? So how can you really walk away from that? It takes a strong individual. So for him to say, I don't care. I right now need to focus on saving because everybody else's focus is what I need for me. So good for him. So what support do you think that he depends on you to provide him? Um, that's, that's easy. 
there's one thing that I do without fail, among other things, but um, before every game, I record a prayer. And so I, I record a prayer and I give him, you know, just those words of encouragement. And I try to be led by what might he need, you know, today. And so before every game, you know, that's what he listens to. And he reads the message. And um, that's that's the gift that I wanted you know, to give to him is mm -hmm. that it's that quiet time. It's that time before things get busy, things get crazy, before you even walk in onto the court where you get quiet and you get centered. And you just ask, allow me, you know, to, to be ready for whatever is presented to me on this particular, you know, day. And it's it's mainly about him staying faithful. Um, and he already has it, you know, within him. You know, the message may change a little bit, but you know, it's the same message at its core that you have everything that you need. And as long as you stay connected to that, that source of your power and your strength, and you maintain that, that faith, um, that faith in God and continue your walk, that you know that path and you know where the path leads to. And I think, honestly, that's how you're able to, to navigate everything that comes up because you're going to have those games that don't go the way that you want them to go. And, you know, he's hard on himself. Most athletes are hard on themselves. So they'll probably always have those games where they can think, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. Um, and it's just making sure that he stays grounded in taking that next step. Like, okay, yes, that may be what you wish for, what you want. Now, what's that next step? What's the next step you're gonna take in your evolution as an athlete? What's the next step you're gonna take in your evolution as a man of God, you know, what's the next step you're going to take as, you know, being, you know, someone who's very active in the community. So the, the core of who you are right now and where you're spending a lot of your time is in the NBA. It is, you know, honing your craft. It is getting better, but you're also much bigger than that as well. So it's trying to keep all of that in balance. And it's so hard. It is, it's really hard you know, to, to keep all of that together. And, you know, he's 22 and he's just, you know, getting started on this journey. And uh, yes, I've certainly been proud of, and I am proud, so proud of, of the, the young man he is becoming, but I have no idea, you know, what the, what the future holds, but I do know how hard he's going to work and usually what he puts his mind to. And when he focuses on that, you know, good things come from it. Absolutely. So there is such big joy in raising professional basketball players. And as mom, you play such a significant role in your child's success. What is something that you've learned about yourself throughout this journey by sharing your most surprising or inspiring things that you've learned so far? Oh, my goodness. Um... You know, I, I think that in in reflecting kind of on my life and and wanting, you know, your child, your son to um, not make the same, I don't even want to say mistakes, but sometimes you want to accelerate that growth for them, right? Yes. And you want to say, oh, well, wait, but have you thought about this or that? And so I think that what I learned most in terms of raising 
a black male and raising my son who happens to be playing in the NBA is that the greatest gift that I can give him is telling him that I trust him Mm -hmm. and, you know, I believe in him and that inside, you know, at the end of the day, what it is that you want and you have my, my support a hundred percent. And there, sure, there may be some, you know, decisions that you're thinking, oh gosh, should he do that? Should he not do that? But then I have to remind myself, this is his journey. And he, he seems to always figure it out, you know, work it out. And, um, I think, I think as a mom, that's, that's one of the things that I, I had to learn is that he's a young man and he's smart. He's um, intuitive. He's very insightful. And he knows better what he needs in his life. And to just to trust that and be there as, you know, that, that guide and that coach and that support. I always want, you know, to be the place where he feels home. Like, I don't ever want him to think that there's any pressure or anything that he has to worry about, whatever it is that he's going through, or if he needs to, to share or talk about, I want him to feel like there's one place for sure that I know that I can go and all's going to be good in the world because somehow, you know, it'll work itself out or mom will say that one thing that I need to hear Mm -hmm. that will, you know, keep, keep me going. And I think that as moms, as, you know, mothers of, you know, professional basketball players, that's the big role that we play. I mean, we are, and you hear every, almost every, you know, professional player uh, talks about, you know, that role of, of my mother. And, um, and I think that's what they, they expect from us. They expect us to be, you know, that one constant, um, that rock, that source of love, that source of everything good. And, and also when we need to, to be able to tell them, you know, the truth as well, you know, the one person that they know that if I go and if I talk to mom, she's going to just tell me exactly like it is, but also, um, you know, encourage me along the way. And I think that's, that's probably in, in terms of my journey, you know, being a mom and learning and just kind of evolving through this process. It's knowing when to lean in, um, when to let go and um, when, when to just, to just listen and be there for support. Oh, a hundred percent. No, no matter how old our kids are, they always look to us for that safe space, yes. that place where they can always come and get the truth. And like you said, it's always the authentic truth. So whether it's good or bad, they know that it's coming from a place out of love and they trust the information that, that we provide them. So that safe space is really, really important, irregardless of their age. So for me, I just love that you said that because it, it is so true. Our kids are always going to be our kids. So in conclusion, yes. before we get to the fun facts, tell us, what is it like being the courtside mom to Sabin Lee? <laughs> Oh my goodness. You know, I am now I am the mom. I started to have his jersey on because I am the mom that goes to the games. I'm like, I've got my piston shoes. I've got the jersey. I've got the hat. 
I am the rah-rah cheerleader, let's go. Um, you know, giving him the thumbs up, giving him that look like keep fighting, you know, whatever it is that's coming up, you know, um, as moms, you can read every emotion and you know exactly what they're thinking. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's still thinking about that last play. It's like, stay focused on, you know, the future. So I think um, I try to have that balance, but when he looks up this at the, in the stands, I want to make sure that he sees this big smile beaming, telling him just go for it. Just yeah. keep going, keep driving. What, no matter what the current state of affairs is in the game, don't give up, keep fighting. So yes. Okay do you you're here for a reason like you said you bet on yourself now do exactly what you've been drafted to do so right. and like you said and they could look up and see moms there waving and cheering and i always say i wonder if my son can find me and somebody said to me yeah, there could be a million people in this arena. You're the one screaming the loudest. <laughs> Everybody knows absolutely who the moms are. So, and that is true. So, let's learn some fun facts. What is Sabin's go-to dish that you make that he must always have? <laughs> it's so funny. I was about to mention that because it's gumbo. Oh. <laughs> Yes. So anytime it's, you know, well, it's, it's, it's gumbo or it's a crab boil, but usually it's one of those two things. So whenever he's, you know, stressed or even in when he's not stressed, it's mom, are you going to come and are you gonna make that gumbo? Are you going to make that crab boil? So yes, those are, those are the two things. Okay. Other than a basketball, what is one childhood, childhood item he couldn't live without? his Legos. So, so Saban, he started out as an engineering major at, um, at Vanderbilt. And I mean, there's just no way that he could, he could juggle both. So he would build these elaborate, you know, Legos and he was into robotics. So yeah, it was either the basketball or it was the Legos and he would stay up all night and build these structures. Oh, that's amazing. First time I've heard that answer. Right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Did he have a nickname? And if so, what was it? Yes. So the nickname from mom is Peanut. Um, yes. And actually, the funny thing is the nickname from dad is Sabo. And so when he got to Detroit, everyone started calling him Sabo. And they had no idea that that's what his dad called him. So you'll hear... I mean, you'll hear everyone calling him Sabo. Okay, I'll have to corrupt. No, it's Peanut. <laughs> That'll be me. <laughs> He's going to hate it. It's like, why did you say that? But, you yeah. know, He's like, really, their nicknames. Mom? That's it. That's it. Yeah. Now, advice questions. So what advice would you give to another courtside mom about how to deal with a coaching decision that she does not agree with? Ooh, you said a coach's decision? Um, you know, personal experience is that I have, I have, I've had to just let that go. You know, I have had to let that go. And depending upon, you know, the age of, you know, the, your, your son, 
but um, yeah, I think, I think that's the line. There, there is a line or a boundary that you have mm-hmm. to set and you have to establish where you, dis- where it's, that's my son's journey and that he is in the best possible position to actually advocate, you know, for himself and navigate it. And so what I have to always remember is that in my limited view and vision, I don't see the whole picture. I don't know what the coach is dealing with. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know what's happened in practice. And so I really, you know, if, if my son is coming to me, you know, that's one thing and we process through it and, you know, we talk about it, but it's, it's really hard. I think that's one of those times where you just have to kind of let it, let, let your child, like, let, let him have that experience. And it's part of their growth and part of their maturation, you know, process and, you know, setting, you know, those boundaries. And, and again, it's like, you're seeing that coach's decision in one isolated instance, but you just don't know what all may have happened, you know, behind the scenes and as difficult and as challenging as it may be. And, and usually, you know, as moms or as parents, you're looking at everything only through the lens of what is the impact on my child? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I've learned to just, you know, allow Saban, you know, to really navigate that. And, um, there is a level of, you know, I think maturity that he has to be able to navigate whatever, you know, he may be going through. And if he needs advice, certainly, you know, we'll talk through it and process it, but yeah, it, it's tough. I think you have to put yourself in, in the position of, you know, the coach and just recognize you're only seeing one piece of it. So what advice would you give to a player on how to deal with a tough teammate? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so I can take a playbook from like all my professional work and my professional career, right? Um, I'm always an advocate of just being upfront and just having the direct conversation because if you don't have the direct conversation or if you don't try to, you know, talk it out or at least, you know, get some form of common ground, it'll show up in other ways. You know, the unspoken tension will show up. And at the end of the day, I mean, what you said is that that's your teammate and you all have to come together for the good of, of the team and ultimately to win. And the coaching staff and everyone else is looking at how you're able to navigate team dynamics, especially if you're a leader in a leadership role or leadership position in the team. And so how you handle and, and manage you know, those team dynamics, it can be an example for either rookies that are coming up or, you know, if you find yourself, if the player's in the position where, you know, they're the veteran, you know, they're setting that example. But I think there's also a way to go about it, um, you know, in the moment, you know, is probably not the best. But, you know, call them aside and just say, hey, you know, let's let's talk this out. But definitely not addressing it is probably not the, the best uh, approach. Yeah, no, it should always be addressed. And in conclusion, my last question to you, Natalie. If you could only give one piece of advice to another courtside mom, what would it be? Hmm. Allow your son or daughter to own their journey. 
allow them to own, you know, their journey. And sometimes when we have a tendency to overstep or over interject, it could be robbing them of growth that they need on their path. And just trust that what got them there will continue to sustain them moving forward. And, and sometimes um, when we provide, I'll say over advice, because, you know, we always want to provide, you know, that meaningful advice and words of wisdom. But when we provide, you know, unsolicited advice consistently, you know, your son or daughter could think that there's that lack of trust, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and their ability to, to really um, own their path. And so just some of it is just to let it evolve and that it's, it's, it is their journey. It is their path. And, um, sometimes letting go and allowing them, you know, to experiencing that experience that and trusting, um, that they know, um, what they need to do, um, is, is probably, I think the best advice I could give. That is so true. It's, it's, that moment where we can recognize what we've done and now for us to step back and say, okay, I've given you what I can. I've given you what I know now just go do you and, and, and be you. I love you regardless. However, your journey, you know what I mean? Starts and ends. I'm still going to be here as mom. So I love, love, love that advice. And thank you. And we wish you both nothing but the best. And we look forward to seeing more and more of Sabin and what's to come in his future in the NBA and beyond. So with that said, thank you so, so, so much for coming on Courtside Moms and and just explaining to all of us what how you've raised your son and what your vision was and what his vision was and how that together got him this awesome journey through this awesome journey of being a professional athlete and living the dream that he said he wanted that started at that basketball game that you had for him. <laughs> When he was teeny tiny. So thank you so much, Nelly, for coming at Courtside Bobs. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely.